0: Hello everyone, this is Jen Fry, Visioning Council member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. I'd like to welcome you today to our Becoming a Nature Evolutionary teleseminar series, where we delve deeply into what it means to be a nature evolutionary through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a world where people and nature are co-creative partners and all life has the right to thrive. This call is being recorded and will be available on our website, NatureEvolutionaries.com. I want to thank our members and donors for making possible today's teleseminar, Biophilic Cities, a Global Movement for Cities that Love Nature with Tim Beatley. I first heard today's speaker at a biophilia symposium earlier this year, pre-COVID, and I was amazed at the concept of creating a city of awe. I'm inspired by his work, and I hope that you will be, too. Timothy Beatley is a Teresa Hines Professor of Sustainable Communities in the Department of Urban and Environmental Planning, the School of Architecture at the University of Virginia, where he has taught for the last 30 years. Tim is the author or co-author of more than 15 books, including Blue Urbanism, Exploring Connections Between Oceans and Cities, and Blue Biophilic Cities, nature, and resilience along the urban coast. Tim directs the Biophilic Cities Project at UVA and is also co-founder of UVA's Center for Design and Health within the School of Architecture. And you can find more information at biophiliccities.org. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, great to be with you.
0: Um, I think you know. Really, where we need to start is by describing what is a biophilic city.
1: Sure. So, so we started this. Um, we actually launched a, a, a network of biophilic cities in 2013, and we were working to try to understand the innovative ways that cities were incorporating nature into all the things that they were were doing. And we had we had ten. Partner cities uh, originally, and and I don't think then that we had um, a a clear idea of what a biophilic city was. And I should say, um, as I as I begin to describe it, that there isn't one you know template. There isn't one uh, vision. It's really something that depends on on the city, on where that city is, on the kinds of nature that exist in that part of the world, um, and and the aspirations of that. Of that city. So, so, at the at the heart of it, of course, is a, a city that is natureful, that has abundant nature, that commits to doing everything it can to protect and restore and integrate uh, nature in, in, into the core of that of that city. And uh, and that's really the heart of it. I mean, increasing increasingly. Um, we are uh, talking about, you know, cities that are are not just cities that have nature, but rather kind of reimagining the very the very uh, concept of a city, so that it's not just a city where uh, you have a park to go to, or you have uh, uh, green spaces or trees uh, along the streets, but rather a, a much more ambitious vision that that understands that we are not separate from nature, but rather uh, the city itself is a natural system, and so uh, we don't just want to live in a in, again a city uh, with parks. We want to we want to imagine the city as a park, or the city as a forest, or the city ha- as an ecosystem. So, so I think those, those, that's kind of the vision, really, that we're we're talking about.
0: So I guess. Also, at this core is the word biophilia. I'm not sure that everybody understands what biophilia means. So, would you like to speak yeah. about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. that's a great, uh, a great thing to ask about because I, I you know, when I started uh, using the term, trying, started connecting biophilia and cities, and we sometimes say biophilic urbanism or you know biophilic cities or biophilic design. Um, I used to get a lot of. Um, sort of funny looks, and, and it was a, it was odd language and i I, I, I get fewer of those looks uh, now, thankfully um, and but i can 't just assume everybody knows what that is so biophilia is um, at, at the heart of it is the, the the love of nature the the idea that we have an innate uh, connection and need to affiliate with the natural world that this is uh, not something uh, optional, but rather to be a fully, to be a healthy, happy um, human being, and to live a fully, you know, meaningful life, um, you need to have that, that connection with with nature. That we've co-evolved really with uh, the natural world. So that's um, the the key idea of, behind biophilia. And so we're we're frequently, you know, sh- the shorthand for us is c- cities that love nature. You know, so we want to. Uh, as we increasingly um, live in cities, um, and we're becoming a more urbanized uh, planet, we have to kind of imagine how um, how that biophilia will manifest, you know, in a, in a very kind of urban urban uh, context. So I, I should give um, you know credit to E.O. Wilson, uh, Harvard biologist, and. and uh, wasn't the first person to use the word biophilia, but he's really the one who's coined it in in the way that we we think of it today. This this kind of co coevolution with the natural world, and uh, this uh, idea that we're hardwired really to to need and want that that contact with nature.
0: I'm thinking as you're talking about the being hardwired to nature I'm like immediately going back to the spring and when everything happened with the pandemic and um mm. so many people were flooding into nature um so I'm just wondering if covid has yeah. affected this work at all with with biophilic or biophilic cities or um yeah anything you'd like to address with
1: that Yeah it it has and uh, I mean, the first thing to say is maybe the obvious thing, which is, the you know, ter- terrible um, pandemic with death and suffering and dramatic changes in our lives. And and uh, but if there is a silver lining, I think it it is the the recognition of the of or re- recognition or reconnection with with nature um, that um more and more of us realize that uh as our you know our lives are are topsy-turvy the maybe the one constant thing um nature's changing as well but there is a cer sort of um normalcy there you know the, the the birds are migrating right now um we are uh you know seeking solace um from the natural world and that means that it, partly it's going outside and and social distancing, of course, but going going to parks and green areas and even the spaces around our our homes um there's been a, a dramatic increase in things like bird watching um which is really encouraging, and people are are you know paying attention, listening watching maybe in ways that they didn't um uh, before. So I mean that's one thing to say. I, I was on a, a podcast a, a few weeks ago, and someone asked me about: Are the birds l- louder than they used to be, or are there more birds? <laughs> and um, I think um, no. The answer, you know, birds are are stressed and and uh, under stress, and and many species are globally in decline, and there are lots of you know, uh, things we need to do to conserve birds. But I think it is true that um, at least for a while there was less noise. And uh, this has certainly been the case in, in, um, in European and other cities um, during, during lockdown. You know, the, the background noise is, is less. People are paying more attention and they're hearing um, birds and paying attention. So that, that's one thing to say. Um, we are actually have just started a study. We have 24 cities now in our global network, and it's in many ways a kind of natural experiment. And so we have started to try to – started collecting um, stories and uh, information about the ways that those cities have been adapting. Uh, to COVID, and that means uh, making it in many cities making it e- easier um, and safer for residents to get outside, uh, repurposing space. And you know, we've all seen this happening in in many in many cities. So, the city of San Francisco is one of our partner cities, and they they have you know they started a slow street uh, initiative, and they've you know closed a number of streets and. And this is happening, of course, has happened all over the world, and 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 repurposing parts of of streets and sidewalks for out, outdoor, you know, dining, and and so we're trying to understand the creative ways that um, cities have been reacting, um, and and they're really they're really interesting, and and again, our partner cities are are telling lots of really really wonderful stories. How do you manage this desire to be in nature uh during the pandemic and it you know it, uh, one of our partner cities Portland, has a has a wonderful park with f- uh, forest park a five thousand acre park and they have you know figured out how to how to do one way trails um that's a little story, but every city's facing some some interesting uh challenges there um the other part of this work for us is is trying to understand how investments in nature uh, pay off in in terms of of resilience in the face uh, of the pandemic, and how, in fact, uh, protecting restoring nature will will better prepare us for the next pandemic or the be- the next uh, set of crises that cities face. So we don't have a. a um, a clear answer yet. We don't have the data um, to, to, to say this definitively, but anecdotally, we you know it's really interesting to see how cities that have invested in nature, um, for example, Singapore. Singapore has been one of our partner cities from the beginning. It's a f- 5.6 million uh, population uh, city, city-state. They've heavily invested in nature. It's one of the best stories um, best examples of a biophilic city and there you know the death toll is the number of people who have died from COVID is 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 very small so is there a connection um it's not clear but we think that if you have cities where there's more nature people are spending more time outside uh we know all the you know physical health mental health uh, benefits of of having nature con- of contact with nature, daily contact with nature, that that um, ur- urban populations are going to be healthier and they're going to be uh, more resilient in, in in the face of of a pandemic. So so those are some of the ways that that our work has been influenced by by this this terrible period we're in. Um,
0: so I'd like to. Uh, just circle back around a little bit to my intro again when I said uh, about the city of awe. So I'll tell you, yeah. I'll be honest, I'm a country girl. I live out in a rural area. I grew up in a small town surrounded by like mm. more farms than anything. You know, cow tipping was actually a thing that people did in my, in my high Cal school. Tipping, okay. so, <laughs> wow. so, um, so, I I do love cities to go and visit, and I want to get the heck out of there. Um, So when you said city Uh of awe, I I was just blown away by that concept that we could have a city based around awe and wonder. Um, So, yeah, could you say more about this possibility?
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the first place to start is that you know we like biophilia um nature generally you know again it's not something that we see as optional so we know that uh it is connected to health and and meaning in life and and uh and the same is true about awe so um the experiences of awe there's a lot of research uh, now that looks at those experiences and tries to understand, you know, how people uh, benefit from from it. And there are, are health benefits uh, that are pretty pretty clear. And even some evidence that in the when we experience awe and wonder and curiosity and all these other kind of interrelated ideas or experiences, we're more likely to have pro-social um, Attitudes are more likely to to be generous, to care about others, and so there's something about those that that uh, feeling of awe, that reaction of awe in life um, that that triggers other other positive values and, and and reactions, and and so this is generally true of nature as well. I mean, any more connect connected to connectedness to the natural world. Uh, more contact with, with just about any form of nature um, helps to, to again helps to make us better human beings. I would say so. There, there's some there's some reasons to do it. Um, reasons to look for those those moments of awe, and and for us it really uh, is part of the definition of what a biophilic city is. So a biophilic city is a city that makes it more possible to experience those those um, that awe, and 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 we could define a a, a a really good biophilic city as one where residents are likely to to encounter awe, you know, uh, over the course of a typical day, and, and so kind of biophilic cities sort of seek to maximize moments of of awe. Uh, if you will, and so there are a lot of ways of course that that happens or 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 could happen I'm, um, I'm not sure which examples i I gave at that uh, pittsburgh uh, conference, but um we're we're frequently you know trying to kind of capture those those uh, stories and it's little things and big things and things that you could um, encounter um walking along you know the Along a sidewalk in a in a city uh, or a suburb, um, but it, it can also be bigger things that that rep- represent really uh, exemplary ways that cities are are nurturing and and protecting and restoring the nature around them. One one example would be the 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 re the awareness and um, the um, the um, the um, whale watching that's happening in New York City. Um, so I think that probably was one of my examples. By the way, I'd love for your audience to visit our webpage, which is biophiliccities.org. And one of the things we do in this global network, one of the things we try to do, we we this is a network of cities that inspires each other and they help each other and they're 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 sharing good practice and innovative ideas. And our part in the network is often to get the cities together and, and talking and sharing, and we collect stories and, t- and 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 tell those stories and and sometimes through films so we have a film a film page and uh, and one of the films is um, about a nonprofit called Gotham Whale, um, which started a few years ago and in in new York city uh, and it was partly in response to the fact that that whales were returning to the the waters of New York. These are are humpback whales mostly, but other marine life as well. And and residents of of this uh, city um, were were seeing whales. And and so now this nonprofit um, organizes whale-watching trips around the city and has a network of citizens engaged in a a citizen science project to, to 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 monitor, to watch and record uh the whales and um you know the the idea that you might be on a ferry in that really dense, you know, big city of New York and you might look over and see. Um it might be a dolphin, but it might you might be, you know, you might see a um Humpback back well that is a that is a, a remarkable moment of of awe um but again it, it isn't just a, a, a really you know big awe inducing kinds of things it's 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 walking through your your city through your life um looking in a way for those m- magical moments around you and it might actually be um you know witnessing something on this again something on the sidewalk uh, could be ants or or you know something else or um the whole life of of um you know of of a, of a, of a fung- fungus or a fungi you know or a mushroom uh that pops up in a magical way uh, overnight as they often do so i it's as much i think a an outlook or an attitude or a way of living in cities, as it is about a program, um, but but certainly programs and opportunities like whale watching uh, can certainly uh, help. So I don't know if that's getting to your question, but uh, I think the we believe you know that this idea, this vision, this movement of biophilic cities is is about again nature is not something and moments of. Awe in response to nature uh, is not something that you just have to get, or you, you're lucky to get on a on a holiday. You know, it's not something once or twice a year when you go on vacation and you visit a national park or your you know whatever wherever it is. It's it's the, those these kinds of experiences that are all around us if we just pay attention. Um, to where we' you know in those places where we're spending most of our time in our in our neighborhoods in, you know in our in and around where we where we work um, and I think that's you know that's a really important part of the message. but cities can in many ways help to facilitate help to uh, provide the guidance and the resources and and can do many things to invoke that or make that those those experiences of awe. Uh, m- more available.
0: Mhm. I think what really um my my mind just kind of went off when I heard you say that and I just I just um uh-huh. in imag- that like are there are there really people involved in in cities like city planning that are like oh how can we make this more yeah. like you know induce more awe or more wonder like or even just more enjoyable um and so that's where I, it got me excited. Like, oh, we can make a city. Yeah. Not, I mean, of course, there are individual projects in cities that are all about beauty yeah. or art or whatever. But like, as a whole, as a whole entity, can we do that? Um, and that's what really excited me.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that um, we we probably have um, a ways to go in the in the urban planning. Uh, profession and that's that's my training and my background and 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 that's where i, I teach in an urban and environmental planning uh, department in a school of architecture and i do teach classes that i have a cities in nature big cities in nature course every spring that talks a lot about all i wonder um but i don't think that's on any um professional accreditation you know it's not on any test that a planner would <laughs> Would take, um, and and you will be hard pressed to find uh, much reference to that, uh, to those things in a planning document or in a comprehensive plan. That's actually one of the things we're trying to kind of work on right now: is how do you, how do you bring these ideas into the formal planning uh, structure of uh, of a city? Um, There's certainly so the planners have a lot of a lot of work to do um I, I think but it's there there are a, a lot of us out there and a lot of practicing planners um who are who are who who think this way and and i they are probably arguing for the importance of nature based on other other reasons that they that they think and probably rightly so are are going to carry the day right so so there's a lot of um, a lot of the language is about green infrastructure and um, the ecological services provided by by nature, natural natural systems, nature-based solutions. I don't know if you've talked about that that language on your show uh, uh, at all, but the Europeans right now are talking talking a lot about nature-based uh, solutions. So the idea that you know that that the important idea that we we want trees around us because they they cool you know that they're a necessary response to to uh, the urban heat um, problem for ex- for example so so we're we're less likely to talk for example about trees in terms of how magical they are um, and we're more likely to talk about them in terms of their uh, utilitarian. Uh, benefits and functions that they provide for us and 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 the latter you know that's good but it can't it can't ever be enough it shouldn't be enough so um so yeah i i, I agree i think we've we've got to increasingly um uh be explicit about the importance of things like awe
0: mm-hmm. well, one of the um resources that you have on your on your website um is the Biophilic Cities Pattern Network. And uh, it was really exciting to see this because I was wondering, is there anybody who's documenting the different things that people are doing in cities that do uh, <laughs> invoke this love of nature? or Because you know, there's so many incredible artists or um, designers around the world that maybe they'll throw something in, but it might not get noticed. So I think it's, um, yeah, that's a really great resource there.
1: Yeah, uh, again, uh you know, love love for everyone to to visit the the webpage and and that's actually a, a relatively new thing that we've started. Um we've we document a lot of what cities have done in in lots of different ways. I mentioned the the films, so there's a whole a page of of short documentary uh films and there are also there's a you know, several books, there's a handbook of biophilic design and planning and an Island Press book. That has that documents a lot of the work of this of the first ten cities in our network, but the idea of patterns um, is we think is a really uh, powerful way of showing what what is possible and and what cities are are and others are doing. It's not just cities, of course, and so it goes back to um, the work, kind of inspired by the work of Christopher Alexander, you know, who was um, and it was and is a, a, a very well-known uh, architecture uh, professor and, and teacher, and wrote a, a series of books around this idea of pattern language um, and and this notion that there are these kind of patterns. We see um, design patterns um, that he you know identified and and described in in his books, and so we're kind of carrying that forward and saying there are these patterns out there um that each city um is pursuing sometimes they just sort of form they they emerge organically, but oftentimes it's a, a you know a um a project or an there's an an intent to do something in a city and it's um and we we try to Kind of attach a a, a name to it um, that that shows what you know what uh, what it is and and is catchy and and anyway you if you look on the pattern we're basically trying to to create a a crowdsourced uh, pattern um, library I guess library is the latest kind of the word we're using so that you can just scroll through all, all of these wonderful. Things that are going on uh, around the world, and uh, with a with a photograph or two, a name, a description, a, a web page to visit, and um, and we're going to attach it to a map, at, an online map at some point too. So so yeah, and and so you could say, wow, I really love this particular pattern of you know it's a. a you know whatever it is that um a, a kind of uh, f- a water feature in the city or a um a tree plaza which is a you know a a a, a pedestrian plaza with with uh, trees planted and and kind of growing through the pavement and um I could we can do that in our city and 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 actually when you look around our city we have done a lot of things in the past let's Let's um document those things and and hold them up and celebrate them and and uh see which patterns seem to be working and which ones don't so that we hope is going to be a good way to to sort of globally move move this idea of biophilic cities forward.
0: You know, one of the um things I was pondering was how does how does one start the process of getting their city to be biophilic. And uh, I'm sure you have your own answer, and I want to hear it. But I also, when I was looking at that, I was like, oh, well, this is a way. Like you could say, you know, start project yeah. by project. Um, but I am curious, is there a, a particular way in which you would engage your city and say, let's become a biophilic city or, or um, promote yeah. that? Yeah.
1: Um, I, I don't think there's one one way. And, and I think that it's really important to recognize that even though um, in this network of cities um, that to join as a as a city you know that that joining that t- those twenty four cities are really joining as official as incorporated you know um, local governments um, it's a it's a government governmental kind of joining but but you can join our network just as an individual by going uh, on to the website and signing a, a Biophilic cities pledge uh, we have s- several thousand individual. Uh, members we have several hundred organizations, so it's really important I think to recognize that there are uh, so so many things that um, can be done, so many ways to start that don't necessarily involve the official local government right It's stuff that you could do um, that your neighborhood association could do or w- ways of of even getting a few of your neighbors together to to start to replace your turf grass lawns with with n- native plantings and and creating bird friendly um, yards and uh, things that you know just things that do no- not necessarily require huge amounts of resources but yet start to move in that in that positive um, direction so so all all to say that that there are you know wherever you are and whatever organizations you're part of that's that's a a way to start um also and in in fact you know i mentioned the got uh Gotham whale nonprofit in uh in new york and there's so many organizations um some of them tiny um some of them have been around a long time one of our uh, i mentioned portland our our partner city in portland Audubon. um has been doing some just wonderful things They actually have a certified a certified backyard habitat program that you could participate in and and some of the awe the connections to awe um, are things that happen through organizations organizations like that so we have a we have a short film about the Vox's Swiss in portland that these are these are, uh, uh, Swiss that that migrate through the city every September and they, um, they, they roost very, in very dramatic fashion at the end of the evening. They, they swirl and roost by the thousands in the chimney of an elementary school. It's a longer story than I can tell you, but, but um, hundreds of people come together every evening at this Chapman Elementary School to watch this, this, this incredible awe-inspiring a spectacle of nature it's just uh, quite amazing, and that's not something that the government you know the, the local government has done it it's not a it's not a city um sanctioned or a city organized event at all it's 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 a community event that portland audubon is as as much as anybody has, has helped to organize it but so i don't know i think you know uh, just doing something like planting trees or um you know again reimagining your backyard or uh, find, finding ways to uh, make your neighborhood more biophilic um, would would be a really good way to start, a, a really bottom up kind of way. Mm-hmm. But then um, there's another discussion about you know what the city could be doing, right? And that that's is a sort of a different answer. Citizens are part of that that process as well, um, but there will be ways to move your city in that biophilic um, direction. So we have a number of our partner cities that have some kind of planning process underway. So City of Richmond, Virginia uh, is now in the midst of, it's got a draft, it's called the Richmond 300, it's their new new comprehensive plan. And it's gone through a lot of community engagement um, and lots of opportunities for people, individuals and organizations and neighborhoods to to, to recommend and, and to suggest ways that nature could be a more central part of that, that plan. And so, and, and a mayor actually, um, Mayor Stoney, LeVar Stoney, who's actually committed to um, making sure that every resident um, is within a 10 minute walk of a park or a green space. And this is a city that, like most American cities, has a, uh, a, a history of, of, of um, racial injustice and red, redlining and, and the reality of, of uh, neighborhoods of color that don't have uh, the same level of access to parks and nature that other, that, that other uh, neighborhood, more affluent white neighborhoods have. So just um, as an example, that, they, that, that aspiration um, is a is a key element in their new plan. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a, a a good example, I think, of how you could start. Uh, Richmond is not a again. There's no city that's perfect, or is the 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 perfect example or model of a biophilic city. And it's not so much a destination, you know, and in as it is a process. It's a kind of cliche thing to say, but um, it's it's true even in the best examples of cities like singapore that i mentioned there, there's much more for them to do to be to be more natureful and biophilic so so anyway those are some of the, some of the some of the ways that that you could start and and joining the network um in, either individually as an organization or or officially as a partner city um would be a, a, a something we we would recommend obviously we're we'd like to see the the number of cities grow, and that can be something that citizens can advocate for. And in fact, several of our cities have been, have joined the network essentially because of the the strong advocacy and lobbying of, of uh, citizens. Washington DC would be an example of that, where um, a, a local group called, uh, well, Biophilic DC, um, that lobbied every city councilor and got you know, just basically got them to do the things they needed to do to be to to join, um, including the adoption of a of a of a of a resolution or you know, um, city council resolution, basically st- stating their intent to join the network and to aspire to be uh, a biophilic city.
0: So you mentioned um, about racial. Um, justice and it's one of the things i was wondering as i was reading more about biophilic cities particularly because you uh in your one book the integrating biophilic cities integrating nature into urban design and planning you you mentioned that just having a view of nature raises property um, values so i was wondering how do we create this city of all you know create this Make yeah. more biophilic city and address gentrification and um, equity and racial justice. Um, if there's any suggestions or movements towards that, or that's part of the planning process. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, a tough issue. I I think that it's um, one of the most important things we we've got to we've got to, to tackle in, in the biophilic cities movement, and it comes up in every. Um, in, in every one of our cities, it's it's being addressed in some way or another, and it's a question that comes up wherever I, whenever I go anywhere and, and do oh, any kind yeah. of presentation, and it's yeah, it, it comes up. It's 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 and it's partly um, the the times we're in, and it's you know our our uh, thankfully our our aware our our uh, growing awareness. Uh, it's the George, George Floyd death it's that's all the you know um this, this is the the systemic racism that is present in in every american city is obviously not new and it manifests um in terms of nature in some you know really serious ways and we're finally finally kind of maybe finally coming to grips with that so we um, I mentioned Richmond has a, has a history of redlining. In, in many American cities, you pull the redlining maps out uh, and, and they correspond uh, almost perfectly to the, the inequities and inequalities in the distribution, for example, of, can- of forest canopy. Um, so those redlined areas, those, those uh, largely African-American neighborhoods where it, it was harder to get a mortgage and uh, where... Um, active segregation and discrimination happened. These are neighborhoods that have, you know, less uh, nature. Um, but you're absolutely right. So how do we, if we, if we um, grow more nature, and we invest in uh, projects like the High Line in New York? This has become a, a kind of um, a prominent example of, of unintended consequences, right? It, it raises the price of housing it becomes a more desirable place it gentrifies eco gentrification is the language that sometimes used now um and so there are there are responses and there are strategies that put um social equity and racial justice uh you know put those things uh front and center and And so that's one of the things we're trying to do is collect stories. So um, I'll mention two examples that we frequently mention. One is the 11th Street uh, Bridge Park in in Washington. And um, they, this is a wonderful example of how to design a project kind of like the High Line. This will be a a linear um, park uh, across the Anacostia River and uh, even before the park, it hasn't been built yet, it's still, in, in, it's still raising funds to build it. Um, but it's gonna happen, and they have designed it, the design process engaged the community uh, from the beginning, and there are now, they've prepared a, um, a, a, an equitable development plan, which is really exemplary to, to anticipate um, the, the gentrifying uh, effects, and to and to count, counteract them or work, do things to to make sure essentially that the neighborhood, um, particularly on the on the east side of the river, um, doesn't experience that kind of those kinds of unintended effects. Um, and this is everything from from a ho- home buyers club to uh, job, job training to make sure that it's the neighborhood that benefits from the employment and in, in, in constructing the bridge park. Um, they've just created a, a new community land trust as a way of uh, protecting, preserving the affordable housing in the neighborhood. Uh, so it's a, a very comprehensive set of, of, of strategies and um, I, we're seeing this begin to happen uh, around the country. So, so um, planners, back to planners, have to we have to think about um, continuing to develop the tools and the toolkit that we need really to 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 take this on. But but it's it is a it is a dilemma, you know. Uh, so there are some people who are arguing for this idea of just green enough which um suggests that neighborhoods um should you know encourage um biophilic design biophilic elements that would Im- would improve uh the the nature qualities of that neighborhood but not too much <laughs> um okay. that it causes that it stimulates the um, gentrification and the, the kind of the attractiveness of the neighborhood becomes super attractive to uh, folks you know on the outside i 'm not sure i it's a, it's an open discussion um, right. and i I do start from the premise that that nature is a birthright and everyone deserves it, and everyone should have it have that connection to nature and so i I have a little bit of difficulty with the idea that that we that we um, don't aspire to Every neighborhood having um, this immersive nature uh, quality that that really is at the heart of the biophilic vision. But you've you've hit upon a really, a really really important uh, question and challenge for us.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, just from what you said and what I imagine too, it, it's also case by case, but has needing to have that awareness when we're in it, which I think has yeah. been lacking a lot. Cause it's, um, in your book, right. you make the case that that creating a biophilic city, it is, it is economically um, beneficial. And so much of our development has always been focused on the economics. And so maybe we right. can shift that a little bit to what are other benefits and, um, you know, you mentioned the health benefits, but also I'm guessing... Right. I'm guessing, and it sounds like from some of the cities you've mentioned, too, that there's also the climate change benefits. Like, you know, let's let's create more resilient yeah. cities, not just for COVID, but also for our changing climate. And what do we do with, you know, from the fires out west to the floods or to rising sea levels? Um, yeah, it sounds like right. biophilic cities can help with that as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, we are frequently, um, the word resilient, resilient or resilience hasn't come up so far today but uh we we frequently say that just about anything that you would do could do to make a city more biophilic will also make it more uh resilient and and that you know we've got huge uh urban heat problems and they're going to get worse and uh part of the answer you know might be reflective pavements and other other things but the most effective thing we found and and the modeling suggests this in cities like dallas um would is tree planting and more trees and more more greenery and uh um and so yeah, so we want to be resilient and need to be resi- think about resilience and it and you're right it's connected to equity uh again it's you know the the places that are are um are already experiencing extreme heat in cities are uh are you know neighborhoods of color and their they lower income neighborhoods or the neighborhoods with fewer resources for the most part so there's a social equity dimension to that um resilience for all is really you know what we're aspiring to um so so these are all interconnected sort of issues but uh, we 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 definitely think a biophilic city is a is a resilient city and an e- equitable city yeah that's I think
0: that's so important and i' I full heartedly agree with you about nature as a birthright, and um, you know one of the other things I—I I've, I've missed the opportunity. You mentioned it a few times, but um, one of the things I try to get across to people is that nature is all around us. Um, you know, so when we're in the city, yeah, because we so often think nature is Yosemite, like we have to go somewhere, right. um, somewhere far that is just a huge mountains yeah. of nature. But really, we're all surrounded by nature. One of my one of my favorite things to do is to do an urban herb walk and take people just around a city block and just like, mm. these, are herb, these are plants that, and you can work with this plant for, you know, this plantain helps bee stings or whatever. And everybody's like, but this grows in my backyard. <laughs> yes, yeah. it does. That's um, right. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's, and I do remember that you mentioned um, the part of the biophilic city is also educating um the citizens to as to what is nature around them and reminding us that we that dandelion growing out of the um pavement is you know is alive and is a plant and, mm-hmm. and has lots to offer. Um
1: Right. Yes. And
0: part of the equity too, you mentioned uh when in Australia the public grills, you used to live in Australia and they have public grills. Oh yeah they, yeah. And I actually I mentioned that because I visited um, Australia many years ago, and that was one of the things that blew me away. Was like not just I mean we when I grew up we had grills in our parks, but they were charcoal grills. You had to you know come. These are like really nice grills that were just and pavilion like picnic tables, beautiful settings that were just open to anybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and uh, that's just the way they the standard. Um way they equip you know parks there and uh, we were always kind of fascinated because may, maybe it's more um more introverted family that I have or or I'm more introverted that the, you know you'd see three families at once that didn't know each other cooking together you know on this on these common grills that were really lovely grills but yeah um there's we haven't talked about this, but there's a there's a social Dimension to all of this, right? I mean, we we have, especially during this is another another answer to your pandemic question. We have um, a, a level of of social isolation, um, you know, that we we haven't had before. We had a a, a pre pre COVID crisis already, and uh, and concerns about loneliness and depression. And it's nature, it's those places, not necessarily always, not just parks, but anywhere where there's nature around us are, are places where we, we wanna be and places that um, help to bring us together as human beings and help to address that, that, that social isolation. So that Australian example is one of, they, they really do, partly they're, you know, it's kind of more of an outdoor uh, culture um and uh it's getting hot of course uh and the, historically the environment is, there has encouraged more uh, out, outdoor uh more of an outdoor life um but I think you know we part of what a biophilic city is 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 investing in those um investing in nature as a as partly a way. Um, again, to foster uh, friendships and social connections and and all, all the sort of social capital um, that we know is really important to creating um, health healthy people and healthy healthy places we have one um, one city Edmonton Canada that's um, i don 't know whether I, I talked about this in the Pittsburgh presentation, but they uh, they have they have done a lot of work around getting getting residents outside during the winter months mm-hmm. which is a, a challenge in that uh part of the world in nor- kind of northern latitude cities and they very much see it as a, a health um you know strategy they have a, they've ad- they've adopted a win- they have this thing called the winter strategy which is mm-hmm. um about windbreaks and urban design warming stations ways that it it, it will be um, pleasant to be outside in the winter, ice skating you know um, and, and an annual uh, ice castle that they design and build that you have to go see you know it 's so important mm-hmm. um, so yeah, spending we spend too much of our time already indoors, more than ninety percent uh, usually and winter months are, are definitely a, a concern. So so yeah, uh, that, that Australian grill um, is, I don't know if anyone's really thought of it in that way. I, I do know actually that there are, there are several Australian cities where they've invested in this idea of uh, facilitating block parties and outdoor parties and they will actually bring a grill to your neighborhood and they will subsidize that actually and um you know it's a part of the mental health strategy in those cities. Mm.
0: Yeah, I had a similar experience when I was in Iceland and I don't know if you know mm. about this. In Iceland they have all these what they call hot pots and they're mm. really like they're really geothermally fed uh swimming pools that are open to the public. They're in the middle of the city. Okay. They're free and um yeah. so i was there in january and <laughs> but there were businessmen that they held their meetings at them. Or I also saw, uh-huh. like, local moms, they got together and, you know, were having their little time together while the kids are at school yeah. and just connecting. And it was so amazing to me that um, yeah. they're all, you know, in a, essentially a huge hot tub, but it's but it's a swimming pool side Yeah, ride, yeah. Um, and totally free and available. And it just encouraged people to be out there. And then, of course, they also, because the one I was at was right, alongside the ocean, so then they're running into the freezing Ooh. cold water and good health benefits okay. as well. Um, yeah, but, wonderful. You know, yeah.
1: That's great. Yes, it's um, what uh, Eric, Eric uh, Kleinenberg uh, describes as social infrastructure, you know, all the, the, mm-hmm. those sort of places and spaces where we, we come together it might be um, it might be a, a, a pool or a, a hot spot like that, or it might be it actually might be a library, or it might be you know all these places could have nature, of course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the social the social dimensions are really important.
0: So I see our time's getting really close here. I do have um, actually I have two questions. So maybe we'll see. But okay. I have one that I it's a little bit off. Um, but going back. Oh bit, so I'm wondering if there's been any collaboration uh with indigenous cultures like um I know some ancient Mayan cities really incorporated nature plants and animals into their cities, and so I'm wondering if there's been any investigations hmm. um, into that for the biophilics. okay
1: sure i I don't have a very satisfying answer because um this has been a uh something we've we've wanted to do more. Uh, around and and we we recognize and this is back to the um, back to the social equity uh, question and we do have one um, one australian city Fremantle uh, frio it goes by and it's a port city on on the western side uh, in western australia state of western australia, and uh, <clears throat> they have been doing uh, I mean, like a lot of Australian uh, communities, they're coming to a greater awareness of this deep, deeper history. And, and there's a, you know, as we have badly treated uh, Native Americans uh, historically in the U.S., so so also is that you know, is a terrible story. Um, so there there are efforts to, for example, rename. Uh, streets and um, to kind of rethink, in um, some ways, kind of parallel to some of what we're doing here in, in thinking of rethinking statues and the terrible history that we're we're, we're presenting and um, and there are um, examples. Uh, so, so in Fremantle or near Fremantle, there is a, we have a, a film about this, uh, um, an effort to. Um, protect a remnant bushland that, that is a sacred space for the Noongar uh, people. And um, it's, it's a fairly optimistic story in the sense that the, the opposition and protests and, and all, all of the work to stop what essentially was a highway um, expansion, highway expansion project uh, has led to the protection of the sacred land and um on this film um we we interview one of the elders of the Noongar elders about their role and and uh, the um uh one of the things i was taken by was the the, the philosophy of the, the Noongar uh, people which is partly uh, it's a totemic um uh, belief system so they each person each child actually adopts one or two or more species of uh, plants or animals or things in in the environment and and they become their that's their special totems that they care about and steward over and so um i, I heard about that idea and I've just actually just finished a book about birds uh birds and cities, and um kind of proposing that <laughs> that idea um, it, uh, it, that w- we have to do take more personal uh responsibility for for deep lear- deeply learning about the the nature around us, and that can be this this w- the wisdom of of choosing. Uh, a species of a black cockatoo, for example, is one of the species that um, will be protected by these uh, this tree these trees this forest um, so so all, all to say that um, we have a lot of work to do, and um, there there will be uh, opportunities and another example actually from from portland uh, partner city is the the new Collie Park there which is uh, a, a new park 25 acre uh former landfill in a in a in a neighborhood of color largely hispanic neighborhood actually um but it is a sacred space um for native americans and uh there is a native american gathering garden uh that's a pro- the the most prominent feature of the park and it's uh a, a Actually, a space—an act, a space uh, that has has already become important. I think to to uh, the Native American culture and people peoples there. Um, but we got—we have to definitely do do more. It has to be a more central part of uh, of what every city does. So the, so the biophilia um, of that place it has to acknowledge the, the really deep history and uh, um, the the fact that you know this is uh, n- nature stored it over and protected and cared for uh, for thousands of years by by the, the First Nations and the people who were here um, long before the Europeans arrived. So it's got to be a, a much more uh, central part of every biophilic city strategy, I believe.
0: Thank you, Um, so I think you actually answered my other question I was going (laughs) to. Your second question, sorry. Anyways, just in case, Um, so I was wondering about uh, what changes do we as individuals need to make or are there like one or two things you really wished people um, would start doing to help create biophilic cities?
1: Yeah, Um, one or two things, I mean I, I think for me it's if we're talking about it at an at, at what can an individual do? It's it's uh, re- rethinking the very concept of citizenship, and um, w- we do have a hard enough time as it is, uh, you kind of implementing a a robust you know version of citizenship that goes beyond just obeying the law, paying your taxes, and voting. You know. And once in a while, to something else, and I, I think that's the the place to start is to to look for the the deeper uh, ecological citizenship that 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 we all should should embrace. And that I'm I'm looking out my window right now, and and there's a North, northern cardinal on the on the looking back at me, um, and and that 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 bird is part of our world and it's um we are this this is channeling aldo leopold and others you know we we are part of a community of life and um we should be working as individuals in in whatever way we can to acknowledge that maybe that you go to you support a candidate um a local council person who who believes in the biophilic agenda or you show up at a at a meeting and stand up and say you know I'm my I I'm here because of that northern cardinal or I'm here you know something radical uh like that again back to the what you can do um in the next hour you know without a lot of effort labor money planting things uh and and just paying attention right i mean just today i will go on a a 20-minute awe walk, and uh, there's some researchers now that are actually doing, trying to understand what a, you know, they're, they're organizing these awe walks where they basically, it's just a, it's a walk, um, but, but you're given a, a charge in the beginning to, to, to look at the world in a different way. And, um, and that sounds like a little thing, but I, I think it can, can transform everything else. So um, we should all go on awe walks today. That would be a good start.
0: I think that is a good start. And I'll just tell you personally, you had mentioned um, in, in the talk in Pittsburgh about um, having somebody come to one of your conferences and looking at all the different ants. They would try to yes. classify the ants. Or So since then, because we have quite a lot of um, ants growing around our, or living around our walkway, so every time I see them, I'm like, oh, I wonder what kind of species of ant you are. <laughs> so so um, <laughs> That's right. It definitely is. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah it's that's important. All. I get paying attention yeah and mm-hmm. so that that's a little thing at yeah I'm sorry, go ahead no, go ahead, no, I just yeah, and the, I mean the other part of that story was just that the first time we've ever done this to to collaborate with someone who uh you know a, a, an entomologist who actually someone who actually knows can can identify ants and and so this person um in, interrupted every so often our conference with, you know, what 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 did we what what was found? Oh mm-hmm. my my gosh! And by the end of the day, there were 12 species of ants um, that we didn't. You know, most of us are just walking around mm-hmm. oblivious to to this remarkable biodiversity that we're that we're, you know, sharing the world with. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. What I was going to say is, it is. It's all about looking at the world in a different way, and it's all perspective. And so. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's great. I love the 20-minute all walk. I love that. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for um, joining us sure. today, and of course for all this work and bringing nature forward in biophilic cities. It's really, I really do think that it's exciting, and I like gives me hope yeah. for our future. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me, and uh, yeah, I, I hope to hear from or ho- hope that folks can at least uh, check out the webpage, and and if they're um, living in a city, you know, that where you think um, it might be a, a good candidate to be in the network, we'd love to hear from you. So.
0: Great. Yeah, so that website, again, is biophilic, B-I-O-P-H-I-L-I-C, cities. Dot org, And um, again, on there, there's a pledge you can sign up for. I didn't know you could sign up as an individual, so I'm going to go do that now. Um, <laughs> and also, they have a lot of events, so you can find the events there. Um, so please do check that out, and and a huge amount of resources. Um, so also, please join us for our next tele seminar, which is on November 15th, and it is a, called The Power of Prayer with Theron Lickfield. And you will be able to find today's recording, as well as our other teleseminar recordings, on our website, natureevolutionaries.com, as well as on Spotify and Apple iTunes. We also invite you to join us for our fall global ceremony, Ancestors' Connection and Healing Ritual, which is we're holding on October 24th. So you can find more information, um, some really beautiful information about the ceremony on our website. And for our members, we are inviting you to extend this ceremony with a monthly Decolonizing Ancestral Memory Circle. And the circle will be facilitated by last month's teleseminar presenter, Hilary Giovalli, and our director, Alicia Holiday. And, of course, if you're not a member, then please do join us. And while visiting our website, I always ask you to please press that Donate button. Your donations really help us, if you're able to, that is, of course. Your donations really help us to continue to do our work of creating educational opportunities and listening to and building relationships with the living earth. So I'm sure you all are aware that currently there is just so much chaos and angst and fear in our world, particularly in the U.S. And so I really invite us all to let us remember that Nature is our great reset button, so may we all spend some time in nature, simply being or perhaps listening. And then may we take this deep breath and together dream our way forward. So until next time, I'm wishing you peace and love, and I really hope that you have a beautiful day and find something, at least one thing of awe. I'm sure it's around you, so thank you, everyone. Have a good day.